There is a six-part British TV drama called River, and it's about a detective whose partner has been killed. The detective, John River, is determined to find out who murdered his partner, Jackie Stevenson, known as Stevie. But as he tries to unravel the case, the grief-stricken detective has these repeated visions of Stevie, visions so real that in them he carries on conversations with her. She appears in surprising places and at surprising times, and each time he has one of these visions, his face absolutely glows. He is completely absorbed and caught up in the moment. Others question his sanity, but River never wavers. He waits for these moments, and their occurrence always leaves him wanting more. One senses throughout the series the tension that he experiences between Stevie's palpable presence on the one hand and her palpable absence on the other. The same tension, the tension between absence and presence, is never greater in the liturgical life of the church than it is during this ten-day period of time, a time in which we celebrate both the ascension of Christ, 40 days after Easter, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after Easter. On the one hand, the ascension speaks of God's everlasting presence with us, When Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh ascends into heaven, as we hear about in today's reading from Acts, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we say in the creeds, humanity itself is taken up into the very heart of God. What we see in this moment is that the incarnation is not just some 33-year experiment. The incarnation is true forever. God did not join God's self to humanity only for the duration of Jesus' earthly life. God joined God's self with us for always. As Jesus says of his followers just a few verses after today's reading from the Gospel of John, As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. So yes, the ascension shows that in Christ, God is present with us and we are present with God always and forever. On the other hand, though, the ascension reveals the absence of Jesus in the world. Now, we don't like to dwell on Jesus' absence. We prefer to speak of Jesus being right here with us. Just think of some of our favorite hymns. What a friend we have in Jesus. I want Jesus to walk with me, and my personal favorite in the garden, where he walks with me and talks with me and tells me I am his own. We focus so much on the presence of Jesus that we often push push aside the fact that the physical body of Jesus is very much absent from us. We cannot touch him or embrace him or hear him laugh or wipe the sweat from his tired face. What grief the disciples must have endured after the ascension, after they had traveled with Jesus day in and day out. Not only was Jesus gone, but so were their hopes for the restoration of the kingdom. See, in Scripture, the kingdom of heaven can't be separated from the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven comes when the Messiah comes. But no sooner had the words, Lord, is this the time when you will restore your kingdom to Israel, rolled off the disciples' lips, than Jesus left them. 
So what about that day when mercy, love, and justice will all roll down like water? What about the day when all things will be made new? Wasn't that what all this was supposed to be about? But here the disciples are, left alone with just these words from Jesus, words that carry both a task and a promise. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we often say that the church was born with the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and that may be true. But if so, the labor pains began with the ascension. It was in this moment that the church received its commission. With his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus had ushered in a new era. His followers knew that the world would never be the same again, that things were being made new. But with Jesus rising into the heavens and the disciples left standing there, they also recognized the many things that had not yet been made new, the many things that did not yet bear witness to mercy, love, and justice. And in that moment, their mission was clear. They were left to continue the work he had begun. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, this band of followers would go on to preach and to heal and to share and to form a community grounded in love. And although Jesus' friends wouldn't be able to physically touch him in the flesh from now on, the Holy Spirit would tease them with Jesus' presence in the bread and in the wine, in the water of baptism, in the stranger in their midst, in the faces of the hungry and the poor and the imprisoned, in the beauty of a sunset, in the love they shared with one another. Each experience of Jesus' presence would be, in effect, another commissioning, It would always leave them wanting and working for more. More Jesus, more ways to bear witness to his love and mercy and justice. We as the church today find ourselves in much the same place as those early followers of Jesus. We are torn between Jesus' presence and his absence. We wait for the day when all will be made new, when Christ will be all in all. We work toward that day. And along the way, we treasure every moment when a veil is lifted and his presence with us is revealed. Soon we will come to the altar rail, and the Holy Spirit will feed us with the presence of Christ in the bread and in the wine. May that presence leave us wanting more. May it stir our imagination. May it give us the strength to be the hands and feet and heart of Christ to others. And may it give us the courage to not simply gaze up at the heavens, but as Jesus commanded, to make heaven present here on earth.